is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. This week, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese announced the date for the Voice to Parliament referendum. This is it. October 14 is our time. It's our chance. A campaign for which the stakes couldn't be higher. It's a moment calling out to the best of our Australian character. So with the end in sight, what lengths will each side of the voice campaign go to in their efforts to convince voters? And is it too late for a respectful conversation? Today, I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Indigenous Affairs Editor Lorena Allam about where to from here on the road to the referendum. It's Friday, the 1st of September. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Gabs. Good morning, Lorena. Good morning, Gabs. This week, Lenore, you wrote an editorial focusing on the facts of the referendum. Why did you feel you had to write that particular column? So I wrote it on the day that Anthony Albanese really sort of fired the starting gun for the campaign by naming the date. And it felt like the no campaign had really gotten a bit of a head start in this whole debate. And, you know, initially they were raising questions that, you know, were legitimate points of discussion that could be debated, like whether or not the voice would result in, you know, many constitutional challenges or areas that they could give advice on. But increasingly over time, I felt that the No campaign had been really stripping the actual arguments that people will need to consider when they cast their vote on October 14 of any context or meaning really of any association with the question at hand and running a campaign that at times it had racially charged assertions in it that that was really kind of appealing to to fear and doubt rather than the questions at hand. And I felt like it was important to say at the start of this six weeks where it's really going to be at the forefront of people's minds, appealing to people to please look at the facts and make up their minds based on the facts and not on some Facebook meme or some assertion which isn't backed up. Lorena, on the day Anthony Albanese announced the date, John Howard urged the No campaign to maintain the rage. As somebody who wants it to be defeated and defeated 
Resoundingly, I would encourage no voters to um, maintain the rage. The next day, Noel Pearson responded saying... The Yes campaign must maintain the love. There's no rage path for us. There can only be a love path for us. What does that say about the strategies of the Yes and No campaigns? It was interesting that John Howard would use the phrase that was associated yeah. with one of the greatest Labor Prime Ministers of all time, um, who, who used to say that to his comrades, maintain the rage, fighting for the rights of people. So it didn't go down very well in the Yes camp. I, I, I heard Noel Pearson's comments on the ABC the following day. Rachel Perkins had a few things to say about how um, stoking fear and rage was the opposite of what they wanted to do. Uh, Noel Pearson said, we're going to maintain the love um, and we're going to love people. We're going to love them on the beaches, is what he said at Gama. It's, you know, he got a laugh out of that. But I think that what they're trying to do is provide a positive overall message to Australians, many of whom really aren't yet paying attention to this, who don't know anything about The Voice, who have not turned their attention to this issue. But so the overarching message is going to be one of positivity, yes, being yes to a better future, yes to uh, change, yes to things that we can all be proud of. So it's a very emotive message and I think a bit of a gift to the Yes campaign really for Howard to say that um, because it does kind of mark them out as negative and mean and I certainly think that the Yes campaigners are going to have already made the most of that. But there is a bit of dissonance in the Yes campaign, right, in that on the one hand they say this is a really big moment, really important important moment for the country and then on the other hand they're sort of trying to downplay some of the fears being propagated by the No campaign by saying, well, it's just an advisory committee, you know, it's a modest proposal. There's not an actual conflict between those things when you look at the context but in the messaging it sometimes feels like there's a bit of a dissonance there. Do you think that that's something the Yes campaign is going to try and address in the final six weeks to the vote? I think they have to because it, it it's a bit of a weak spot that the No campaign could exploit. You know, on one hand you're saying it's a very modest ask, it's not that much, it won't impact your lives. I mean, it is a modest ask. It is. It yeah. is indeed a modest ask and, and it won't impact the lives of any non-Indigenous Australian. But then people ask, why do you want me to vote on this? Why is, why is it up to me? So... There's a lot of complex ideas that the Yes campaign has to distill to some very simple positive messages and they have to do it now. They have to do it in the first three weeks of this six-week campaign because a lot of people will be looking to pre-poll as we speak. And also getting a majority of Australians to take even the first modest step down the road of reconciliation is a really big thing and a really difficult thing. It isn't contradictory but it sounds that way. The Yes campaign say they have almost 30,000 volunteers and that they're going to be at train stations and knocking on people's doors. Do you think that's a good strategy for their hopeful message, Lenore? Yeah, I think it's the way that you convey a hopeful message in person-to-person conversation, talking to friends and family, talking to people you know in your community. I think that is absolutely, if they're going to prevail, if they're going to turn this around, that's exactly how they need to do it. Megan Davis, who's a constitutional lawyer and one of the architects of The Voice, has described the referendum campaign as a choice between two future Australias. What does she mean by that, Lorena? 
What she's trying to say is you have in your hands a choice between two Australias, a positive Australia that says yes to a voice to parliament that takes that step down the road to reconciliation, or you can say no uh, and be left in the past. A vote for no is a vote for the status quo, which we all know is not working. The real life outcomes of, of government policies for Indigenous people are disastrous. Health outcomes are not improving. Our children are being taken away in, in increasing numbers. So she's saying the status quo clearly isn't working for Indigenous people. It's time to try something different. And so she's painting this vote as a choice between two Australias. What Australia do you want? The Prime Minister said that on Wednesday when he announced the date. He said, don't close the door on these, this opportunity. Don't close the door on listening to communities to get better results. Don't close the door on an idea that came from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people themselves. And it's an idea whose time has come and it will tell us about the national character. So it will be a test of our national character. And I think it's interesting that the No campaign hasn't actually advanced any alternative. So does a No vote mean you think the current situation is okay? And if not, then what does it mean? Because... You know, Peter Dutton says he supports local and regional voices, but there's no explanation about how that would work. And the National Party doesn't think that's a good idea. So there's no alternative on the table. Really, a no vote is the status quo. Well, if you listen to Warren Mundine and Jacinta Nampajipa-Price, they say what they want is accountability. They say that the system as it's working now needs to be I don't know the right word, tweaked, so that governments uh, perform better. They think that there's room in the current system to make governments more accountable. But I do agree with you, that message isn't being articulated. And as a voter, I'd really like to hear a bit more detail about that plan. The polls are not looking good for the Yes campaign. Thomas Mayo said on Full Story in our Voice AMA episode earlier this week that he wasn't paying attention to the polls. Do you think he's right, Lenore? Um, I think that is, to put it politely, baloney. They're paying absolute attention to the polls. They're tracking polls every single night. And I think they're looking very carefully at the sort of 30 to 40% of voters who are either soft yes, unsure, or soft no. Those are the voters who are in play. They're looking at what states they're in. They're looking at where they live. They're looking absolutely at the polls to figure out how to target their campaigning. I mean, this is a big and sophisticated electoral effort. And yeah, you have to look at the polls if you want to have any chance of winning it. But politics is about perception. So what they say publicly is we're not interested in the polls. We want to talk to our fellow Australians. We want to communicate our message. But behind the scenes, both camps are. Or go to exactly that train station. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, both campaigns are spending a lot of time in Western Sydney where, yeah. you know, polls also show there are a lot of undecideds there. What are they hoping to achieve there? Well, I think that's really interesting because I think if we know anything about the undecideds, they're going to be the sort of more disengaged people, you know, the people in the suburbs and the outer metro areas who are really busy trying to pay their mortgage and deal with cost of living and get their kids to school. And they really haven't engaged with this very much yet. I think Essential asked, I think it was in June, how many people had read the Uluru Statement from the Heart or knew what was in it. And I think 67% said they either hadn't heard of it or they had heard of it, but they didn't know what was in it. Now, 
I'm not intending to say anything negative about those people. I mean, they just hadn't had time or focus on it yet. And now in this six weeks, those people are going to focus on this or hopefully will focus on this for the first time. And I think that's where both campaigns are going to be looking. And if you look at the state breakdowns, there's also the absolute majority question. So even in states where either camp is quite confident of winning, the other side still needs to campaign there to make sure that the the overall majority doesn't slip. So I think to that end, Western Sydney becomes really important for both sides. Just on the states, Lorena, how are they looking? We know we have to get a double majority, which means a national majority as well as a state majority. How are the states looking? At this stage, South Australia and Tasmania look to be the crucial states that both sides want to win. But yes, more than no needs to win those two states. They need to win those two states to have, as you say, the double majority. No really only needs to win one of them to tip this into their favour. Because of Queensland and WA. Yeah, because the assumption is that Queensland and WA will vote no. And New South Wales and Victoria will vote yes. That's the thinking. But the polls in New South Wales, yeah, yeah, the polls are are, are quite close. Another good example of that politics of perception, Jacinta Napajipa Price, uh, this week when the, the announcement was made about the date, she was in Tasmania saying that they had sewn up Tasmania. She was quite confident that, that no would win there. I think in that whole contest, the Liberals for Yes could be quite important in terms of giving a Conservative voter almost permission to vote Yes, if that's the way that they're thinking, to take it out of being such a partisan issue as it became mm. after Peter Dutton locked the coalition in behind No. And to sort of counter what the No campaign keeps saying, which is that it's Anthony Albanese's voice. So, you know, Julie Bishop and Matt Keane and Malcolm Turnbull and Barry O'Farrell, they're all out campaigning in Liberal seats, you know, to give Liberal voters permission to kind of think about a yes vote if that's how they're inclined. Mm. And Noel Pearson says this often when he's interviewed. He says, you know, this is not about partisan politics. This is not an election. This is not Albanese versus Dutton. This is about you as the Australian people voting for this principle of reconciliation. And he says that for that precise reason. They clearly want people to step out of those party lines and vote with their heart and not with their their political leadership. But after Peter Dutton locked the coalition in behind no, it almost inevitably does become partisan in that the outcome will have an impact on the fortunes of either leader, on the political authority of either leader. You know, that decision was pretty consequential. Lenore, you alluded to this at the start, but I have to, I feel I have to ask a very simple question. How has the language become so toxic? Um, I think that the no campaign in particular is trying to sort of simplify complex arguments down to emotive assertions. So they're trying to say that it is a divisive issue. I think they think that's that's their biggest winning slogan. And I think the head of advance, who is the body most effectively running the no campaign, said quite openly at the CPAC conference that the divisive claim tested best in focus groups. So he wasn't making any bones about why they are doing that. Their strategy is to create a sense of divisiveness and then assert that the voice is divisive. Because if you think about it in logical terms, it's very hard to understand how an advisory committee can be a divisive proposition, really. 
they're asserting it also in terms of it giving special privileges to Indigenous people and dividing the country according to race, which if you think about it, is slightly contradictory because there's already a race provision in the Constitution. So that doesn't make logical sense either. But I don't think the arguments they're making are really intended to be seen in the full context of the decades of work that has been done to take us to this. They're intended to be read in a Facebook meme and that leads to a, to a pretty toxic online debate. The The big elephant in the room here is racism and it's been quite easy for elements of the No campaign to play into the racist stereotypes and racist assumptions about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that are still very much alive in Australia today. So part of the toxicity is around the kind of language people are using, as Lenore said, online, but in the playground, in workplaces, in the street. Aboriginal people everywhere that I have gone and everyone I have talked to have said we've been copying it more than we ever have. So I think in a way the binary choice, yes or no, and because the no camp is by its nature negative, has given permission for people to say and and behave in really racist ways. We had uh, Gary Johns, former Labor MP, who's a leading no campaigner, say at the CPAC conference that Indigenous people should have blood tests to prove eligibility for welfare. So these are the kinds of things that are said out loud, things that we we remember hearing during the Mabo debate, during the Native Title debate, during the creation and then the demise of ATSIC. These kind of horrible racist stereotypes that just resurface. And so while that's said in public, it kind of permits a lot of really ugly racist stuff to to ferment on, on social media. And a very personal campaign against some of the yes campaigners. And, you know, I suppose some of the no campaigners would have been criticised as well. But, you know, the idea that um, Indigenous campaigners on the yes side, you know, who have had successes in life are called elites and somehow therefore should not be listened to because they're elites. Indigenous campaigners on the no side have also worked hard and had successes on life. I'm not sure why they're any less or more elite than that. The, the division is also in is also in a personalised way. There was one statement on Sky by Bronwyn Bishop, which I think the no campaign said was one of its most successful online uh, video clips, which showed a picture of an Indigenous woman in a town camp, I think it was outside of Alice Springs, you know, who looked like she was having a pretty tough life. And then Indigenous women who are, you know, prominent in the campaign wearing nice clothes and that's a disadvantaged Indigenous person and that's not almost like deserving and undeserving. It was really, I found it quite shocking, even having looked at these things for many decades, the way the conversation was happening. The memes aren't designed to teach people anything. They're meant to play on fear and prejudice. Um, So in a way it's like, this is just the stuff we get every day, just ramped up a few notches. But over time, that takes its toll. And as Lenore said, it's been a very personal campaign. Some of the campaigners have copped some very nasty uh, individual attacks on both sides. Warren Mundine has said he's felt like ending his life because of the pressure he was under. So it's been it's been toxic, uh, more toxic than normal. And normal's pretty toxic if Mm. you talk to most Aboriginal people. So I do wonder where we go from here. 
regardless of the vote. I think Australia needs to deal with this. But I think, you know, I keep thinking about Albanese talking about what it's, what this vote will say about our character. He He's saying it will show what a great character, national character we have. It will show us our character, whether we're prepared to, to look at that and do what's necessary about it um, remains to be seen. Lenore, in this final stretch, do you think we can change the tone of the debate? Uh, well, we can certainly uh, do everything in our power to present the facts, to present the actual arguments, to hold both sides of this campaign to account for what they're saying, to interrogate them. Yes, we can. I mean, we can't be responsible for how the different campaigns conduct themselves, but we can certainly undertake our role with all the tools available to us. Lorena, do you want to add to that? I would just say to people, this is a really important decision we're all being asked to make, all 17 and a half million Australian voters. Get informed, ask questions. If people say and do things that make you uncomfortable, say so. If you think you have the opportunity to talk to another person and respectfully communicate your point of view, do that. I think we all have a responsibility as as citizens to conduct ourselves respectfully with one another. In the media, we we have a job to tell you what's happening, to report the facts, to be fair and to give you context. All we can do is our jobs uh, and and not be drawn into the toxicity, to to think always that, that people need information so that you can walk into that ballot box and cast a vote and, and be able to live with the decision that you've made. Next, surreptitious snakes and wild weeds. Hey, Laura Murphy Oates here. At Guardian Australia, we want to make sure you're getting the news that matters in 2023. Our morning mail and afternoon update newsletters are short and capture the most important headlines of the day. If that sounds good, you can subscribe for free right now by visiting the Guardian homepage, searching Guardian Australia newsletters, or just downloading our app and you'll get daily notifications. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Lorena, what was it for you? It's just a lay down mazare this week. It's the brain worm. Oh. You can anyone literally can't get out of that? Literally. I've read so much about the brain worm, oh. just like in horror. It is like a horror movie. But the but this week I read in the Herald that um apparently 1.5 billion humans that we live with worms. 
Oh, but not brainworms. Not brainworms. No, brainworms are fairly unique. But we because well, you have to come into contact with snake poo. Mm. <laughs> this is this is the fascinating part. How did the worm get in her brain? Because she was foraging in an area where carpet snakes lived, and some carpet python poo yeah, carpet python. was on the stuff that she foraged. Warrigal greens. And then, see, everyone's read it. <laughs> and that got into her body somehow. I don't know. It's terrible. Oh, it's just the worst story, but I can't stop looking at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lenore, what can't you get out of your head well, that is not a worm? Well, it's sort of also a worm. I was quite taken with our follow-up story to the brain worm story, which was talking to the Australian foraging community. I didn't know there was one, but there is one, and to get their reaction to this development. And one lifelong forager said correctly that it was very rare and that, you know, if you're interested in foraging, you'd know to really wash things and be careful, etc. And then another forager said he'd experienced many injuries and ailments while collecting food including getting giardia from handling poop attached to mushrooms and being bitten by a spider, but he would continue to do so because life is full of risks and he still chooses to forage. I'm just going to leave that there. I think best to do so. <laughs> I think the moral of the story is just to wash it. If you yeah. forage yeah, it, thoroughly. wash it. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lorena. Pleasure. Thank you, Lenore. Thanks, Gabs. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If the discussion raised any issues for you, there is help available. You can call Lifeline on 131114 and support and counselling specifically for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders is available at 13YARN. That's 139276. If you want to hear more on The Voice, listen to our Voice Ask Me Anything podcast, which this week featured Yes campaigner Thomas Mayo and journalist Amy McGuire. And just a reminder that you can send any questions you have about The Voice that you want answered on our Voice AMA episodes to voicequestions at theguardian.com. You can find that episode in our full story feed. And while you're there, remember to follow us. That way you're always up to date with the latest episodes. This episode was produced by Camilla Hannan and Daniel Simo. The executive producer was me, Gabrielle Jackson. Full Story will be back with you on Monday. We'll see you then. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.